Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is Dr. Marie Brown Mercado. Marie is a coach, motivational speaker, CEO, and author of the memoir, Getting to My Enough, a story of faith, resilience, and survival. Marie completed her undergraduate studies at North Carolina Central University and her doctorate of management at the University of Phoenix. In addition, Marie is a Gallup-certified strengths-based leadership coach who has provided training to hundreds of employees. As a motivational speaker, Marie offers strategies for overcoming personal trauma and provides mentoring and leadership development coaching for women seeking career advancement opportunities. I'm excited to have Marie with us today as we talk about post-traumatic growth and her book, Getting to My Enough. Marie, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to have you here. You know, Marie, I know that finding oneself working within the helping professions usually has us coming up out of our own life circumstances. Ideally, we're looking to give and help others walk through things in their lives in ways that we needed or wished that someone was there for us in those early circumstances. In fact, I think it's sometimes we get really good at giving and being for others, but we didn't have and needed most. Share with us, if you would, your early start in life and how you found this leading to creating a path and helping other people. So I think you're absolutely right. Our lived experiences often are things that really shape us as human services professionals. So as a child, between the ages of seven and 10, I was sexually abused by an adult family member. And, you know, what comes along with that is, you know, growing up with the shame and the, the pain and the blame and just really feeling bad about myself. And coupled with that time period, my parents separated and my dad was a single parent to seven children, which was an anomaly back in the 70s. It's absolutely still an anomaly today, but it definitely was an anomaly back in the 70s. So, you know, in the throes of feeling abandoned by my mom and not because not really understanding the circumstances around her leaving as a child and having to deal with just feeling unloved and unwanted and really feeling very dirty because I was going through this sexual abuse as a child. And it really shaped a lot of my behaviors, you know, my thoughts as I was growing up. I really became an introvert, if you will. And I spent a lot of time alone. I spent a lot of time reading, trying to get outside of my current environment Mm. by just kind of taking myself away somewhere else where I fantasize about wanting to be. Absolutely. So as I was growing up, I knew that I wanted to be in a helping profession. I come from a family of of nurses and those that Mm. worked in, in the nursing field. So I decided to be a candy striper when I was 14 years old. And, you know, candy stripers work in the hospital and they do basic tasks. But I knew then that I really wanted to be in this helping profession because more so, I didn't really want people to feel like I felt when I was growing up. I wanted to to do my part in, in, in helping people that were struggling with whatever they were struggling with to get the help that they needed. And instead of 
trying to help myself. I was helping myself indirectly through working with other people. So I knew that I was going to do something that would allow me to, to give back to others because I didn't really think about it at the time, but it was also helping me to heal myself. You know, it's such a great thing you're saying, and, and I, I appreciate your candor and transparency here as you're sharing these things. Those are challenging things to go through and transitions to experience and the feelings of shame and abandonment mm -hmm. feeling dirty and love those are those are all sequelae emotionally that, that that come from these times and what you did you kind of laid out it, when 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 this happens here's how you feel when you feel this way here's what your thoughts and your behaviors are that follow and then here's the kind of person you can become so i'm experiencing these events there's shame, there's abandonment, there's unlove, there's feeling dirty, there's, and then my behaviors begin to kind of get shaped in my thoughts and then become introverted. And I've heard someone say, you know, we are the sum total of our past experiences yes. and those things really shape us, don't they? Mm -hmm. And a lot of, and a lot of times it's not our real self, it's, but it's who we become out of, or in response to, or in a way to cope with those things that happen in our lives that usually as children, they're outside of our control. Absolutely. And I think part of my biggest challenge is this. I, I didn't disclose purposefully what was happening to me. Mm -hmm. I accidentally disclosed while I was playing with some friends and that person went and told their parents who in turn told my dad. So the interesting part is the perpetrator left our home for a short period of time, but then he came back a few years later. Mm -hmm. And when he came back, my equilibrium was off. Oh, and the safety that I had created within my own mind, yeah. that really dissipated. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of that, you know, many of my teenage behaviors just changed. Now, educationally and academically, I was always doing very well, but I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing as a teenager. And as a result of that, I got pregnant at age 15 mm -hmm. and I was forced to have an abortion at age 15. Mm -hmm. So. Take the sexual abuse and the abortion, which was actually a second trimester abortion, which resulted in me having to go through a process of having to go through labor. Mm. And so all of this trauma is just building, 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 but I'm keeping it inside this box in my heart and in my head. Mm. And the only way that I could release that, I felt, was through reading and through education and through doing other work for other people and within the community. Mm -hmm. And so I did a lot of masking and mm -hmm. I really wore that mask until, honestly, until my 40s. And the more I thrived and the more work I did in my, in my career as a human services professional and at the latter part of my career as a human services executive, the more I started to feel like I really needed to start having these conversations about my own trauma. I was neglecting my internal self. And as I started to work in child welfare in the latter part of my career, the last 10 years or so of my career, the secondary trauma from those child abuse cases that specifically dealt with sexual abuse was causing me to have anxiety. That's an important piece right there. You're saying what once served as a way of managing and coping, whether it's kind of escaping through reading or whether it's kind of channeling or sublimating my my energies into thriving. It, that's a defense strategy. It's it's right. pretty good. It can be pretty helpful. But mm -hmm. what you're saying, if if it's 
if it's not talked about or if the trauma is not talked about or worked through, those very coping strategies that we use actually become problematic and our anxiety catches up with us. And you're saying at that point in my 40s, I'm recognizing I need to kind of do some self-care here. What did you do then in regarding that self-care when you recognize it, continue to avoid or sublimate it through my thriving? It's 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 making it too hard, this, this anxiety. What did you do to kind of pursue that help? So what was really interesting is, although I had been in child welfare, I had not heard about the ACEs study. Yeah. And this is the adverse childhood experience, a study that was conducted in the 90s by Kaiser Permanente in the Center yeah. for Disease Control. And in this study, it looked at adverse childhood experiences that relate to abuse, emotional, physical, sexual, household dysfunction, which was categorized as domestic violence, substance abuse, incarceration, mental illness, and divorce, and neglect, which was considered to be physical and emotional. Mm-hmm. And it really looked at those factors of things that happened between the ages of zero and 17 that impacted adult mental health and well-being. Yeah. And I sat in a seminar learning about all of this information and thinking, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, this is what's wrong with me. Because I finally understood how those things that happened to me as a child were manifesting itself in my life as an adult. And so I knew that I was going to have to do something different because the masking was not helping. So I started journaling and I started writing, uh, you know, about my thoughts and, and about my experiences, keeping a, an adult diary, if you will. Uh And I knew that I needed to seek therapeutic interventions. That was going to be important for me. Now, when we talk about post-traumatic growth, therapeutic interventions are not necessarily for everyone in terms of therapy and medication. Post-traumatic growth includes other things such as yoga and meditation and exercise and what's important for that individual. Uh But for me, those interventions included therapy. And later on, it included medication for anxiety. I didn't recognize that I was having anxiety until I was in graduate school and working on my dissertation. And all of a sudden, I felt like, like, what has happened? I need to sit down on the floor for like 20 minutes to get my mind right. I'm like, what is going on? Why is my heart beating so fast? And again, I'm masking because I'm working 60 hours a week at this time while I'm working on a dissertation. So I found all the other reasons that I was having anxiety except for what was really happening to me. Really good, really good. And then I had to have a conversation with myself. I had to have the same conversation with myself that I had with people that I was serving. Which sounded like what? You need to address the underlying issues that are causing you to get here in terms of your stress. You need to have a conversation about the trauma that you experience in your own life that you have not resolved. And until you do that, you're not going to be able to move to a place of wellness. And it was difficult because if you think about it, during that time, I was an executive managing over 1,500 staff. I had child welfare staff. I had public health nurses. I had those that were focused on community wellness and public assistance programs. But I'm in a leadership role, and I'm Mm -hmm. supposed to be the one that's facilitating processes and policies and, you know, healing paradigms. And so I continued to journal because I was not ready for my persona of being a sought out executive and speaker. I couldn't marry that persona with what I was dealing with internally. 
Yeah. I, I want to talk about, because I know that some of these writings, these journal entries led to your memoir, which led to your book, but I want to go back on something you said here that's really key. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when we when we look at the ACEs and adverse childhood experiences, it's so mm-hmm. helpful mm-hmm. to understand the impact of these things, because when we come out of trauma like this, we say, what's wrong with me? Right. And we create kind of a, a shame-based self-meaning that this must mean that I am. Mm-hmm. So what's wrong with me? But what you're talking about mm-hmm. here is not what's wrong with me or mm-hmm. it's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These things happen to me. They're not because of who mm-hmm. I am or right. they haven't made me a wrong way or it's somehow fault, et cetera. It's what happened to me and how I've best mm-hmm. coped with it in the mm-hmm. best way I possibly can use some really good things. Mm-hmm which actually ended up channeling these journalings and memoirs and now your book, which is pretty cool. So tell us a little bit about some of the thoughts that went into writing your book, getting to my enough. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so one point that you made that I want to go back to is when you're going through this pain and shame and blame, the first person you blame is yourself. Oh yeah. We never put the blame where it belongs, which is on the perpetrator. And so to be able to go back and reflect and say, I acknowledge that this is what happened to me, but I also accept that this was not my fault. That requires a complete shift mentally to be able to do that because there's a lot of victim blaming and shaming. Just for a second, park on that for a second with me. Why is that so fundamentally hard? I think it's hard because a lot of people, unfortunately, in our society want to look at the person who is a victim and say, well, you must have done this. You must have done that. You were wearing this or you acted that way. And so with the shame around it, you have a lot of people that don't even disclose any types of abuses until adulthood because of that internal shame and that blame. Mm -hmm. And so me and my writings and my journaling, it was really, I could go back and I could see a shift in how as I was starting to feel better and start to understand that it wasn't my fault and it wasn't my responsibility to police a person who really should have been protecting me as opposed to harming me, then I could see my thoughts start to shift to, I have to take my power back. I have spent so many years as a consummate overachiever, working full-time, going to school full-time, graduating with honors, working all these crazy hours a week while working on my dissertation, finishing school in 3.8 years as, you know, with You're the- going with like the, mock two with your hair on fire here. Right, like right. You know, with the 160 page dissertation, <laughs> you know, doing this from my daughter, my grandchildren, my husband, my community, my provider yeah. to, wait a minute, I need to sit back and I need to recognize I am, I'm giving it all away yeah. and I'm not allowing myself the opportunity to heal because when I sit down and think, in my own quiet thoughts, when I finished my dissertation, it was like, wait a minute, you don't have those 40 hours a week to distract you anymore. Mm-hmm. Now you have to start thinking about those underlying things. Mm-hmm. So I was able to release a lot of that in my journaling and my writing. And I started with positive affirmations. Instead of talking about who I wasn't, I started talking about who and what I was. I love that. I started talking about the pros of who I was. In strengths-based leadership, we talk about focusing on the pros of your employees and staff and not the cons. 
focusing on capitalizing your strengths and not focusing on your weaknesses. And so that's what I started to do in my own writing, in my own journaling. And so I started to take the best parts of me and to try to make those parts better. I understand that everyone has weaknesses, but I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to try to fix those things that were little quirks that actually make me who I am, but I was going to make the best parts of me better. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Most of us spend more time at work than anywhere else doing anything else. So why not spend that time in a job you love? Introducing Triad's Jobs Marketplace, the only job site dedicated specifically to behavioral and mental health professionals. Featuring more than 1,000 open jobs from dozens of behavioral and mental health employers and searchable by location, professional field, employment type, specialization, and more. Jobs Marketplace helps you find your next career opportunity. Full-time, part-time, or gig-time, make the most of your time. To access Jobs Marketplace, register for your free professional account at hellotriad.com slash bht. That's hellotriad.com slash bht. And then click to Jobs Marketplace. If you're already a member of the Triad community, visit app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. That's app hellotriad.com slash jobs. Visit us today and take your next career step tomorrow. Yeah, I, I really like that. I, you know, what, what you're saying here too, is that it, it's so easy for the victim to be blamed. You know, did you do something, you know, that elicited this? Did you dress a certain way? Were you acting a certain way? And, and I think what also makes it hard is that most of these things are happening when we're children. You know, even right. even under eighteen, let's just say, and right. and that's not supposed to happen in that relationship. That's that relationship is supposed to respect me and honor me and take care of me and protect me. Right. And we don't have a frontal lobe until we're about you know in our mid twenties. And frontal lobes help us with decision making, reasoning, judgment, logic. Mm-hmm. And so if I don't have those, and this is happening, and there's some shame based component to it, a child can only personal, we're kind of in an egocentric world when we're growing up, aren't we? So everything happens because of what I did or somehow my fault. And so it's so hard sometimes when people say, you know, it wasn't your fault, right? And they're like, right. yeah, well, no. And even though mm-hmm. I know I didn't do anything or I didn't dress a certain way, et cetera, I still can't get past this place that there's something about it that's my fault. We personalize it. Right. And so I love the fact that you're you're starting with saying the most important thing is when someone shares this, the first thing we say is, you know, that wasn't your fault. Right. You were just a wee little guy. You're a wee little gal. It was not your fault. There's nothing you could have done to get an adult to behave that way. What I love that you do then is when you kind of remove the sense of my blame, my fault, my responsibility, you're moving into a strengths-based piece that at some point gets to say, hey, let's take a look at the way you survived that. Mm -hmm. What did you do that was so good that you were able to get through that time? What kind of strengths did you elicit here? And you did all kinds of things. And then what you're saying is those things that, you know, I thrive and I sublimated and I journaled and I, and I read and I escaped, I did everything I could. Wow. How good is that? You took awesome care of yourself by yourself as a wee girl, as a young lady to get through these times. Mm -hmm. And then what Mm -hmm. you get to do, you start building upon those strengths. And I love how it shifts into who am I? And what have I got that helps me survive? And what is I, what have I got in my life that I can really build on? in terms of that strength-based piece. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's it's really a, a shift in mindset. And it's not easy. And it certainly wasn't overnight because to be honest with you, some days I still have to remind myself who I am, right? Because there's always going to be those triggers, you know, certain things you remember, certain sounds, smells, music, you know, background music, or even when I go home to the yes. my, to my childhood home, which yeah. interestingly enough, I still own my childhood home where the abuse happened. So mm. there was a process in which I had to kind of disconnect myself from what happened there and talk about how I recreated, you know, my life, you know, beyond that. So mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. You're talking about what types of work you had to do first to, you know, work through the identity that's left from our traumas and such that we can then move into our truth that actually I am enough and just in who I am. I love the word enough or enoughness. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose the word I am enough? Why, why, Why the word enough? I spent so much time feeling like I wasn't good enough. And it's not that anyone told me that I wasn't good enough. As a matter of fact, when I was in my career, I was, you know, on statewide committees and receiving accolades and recognition for my work. But it was when I was feeling that I wasn't good enough. Right. Inside. Inside, internally, you know, I I felt like I was an imposter at work when I was in the top echelon of the executives on on the executive team. But internally, I wasn't matching my external demeanor. Mm -hmm. And so that enough for me was really getting to a place where I could be comfortable in my own skin. Well, I can actually have some thoughts in my head that were positive thoughts about me, my life, you know, what I have been doing and focusing on the fact that, you know, you have done a lot of things and not just for yourself, but for the communities and other people. I've had the great opportunity to work in several different states because my husband retired from the Marine Corps. So we have gone from Texas, Louisiana, California, North Carolina. So I felt start to feel very proud of the work that I was doing in the community. And as I could see, you know, the change in other people's lives as a result of the collective work that I was doing in the community, then I started to feel much better. And that enough for me looks like I can wake up every day and be satisfied with the growth I'm not that seven-year-old little girl anymore, but there's a part of that seven-year-old little girl in me that that exists. Mm-hmm. Because if it wasn't for that internal drive to mm-hmm. really survive and thrive, then I would not have been able to tell my story. The other place that I've gotten to that helps me know that I'm enough is having seminars with women who have experienced some type of trauma in their background. Yeah. That has been so cathartic for me because, you know, women take on a lot as women, right? We're moms and sometimes we're dads, you know, we're the caregivers, we're, we, you know, take care of the children and the, and the mom or the dad that's sick and family and community. And we don't know how to keep things for ourselves. In the Black community, there's a persona of the strong Black woman Mm -hmm. that we as Black women work so hard to try to achieve. Mm -hmm. At the same time, that's killing us because we're trying to do too much and because we're neglecting our own mental health. So to be able to have these sip and heels where I have women come together and we're talking about my book and my experiences and they're able to see Yes, anxiety can look like this. Anxiety can live in the suburbs, travel abroad, drive luxury cars and wear designer shoes. Anxiety can look like this. And so 
to be able to have those breakthroughs because I'm being authentic and open about every aspect of my life to be able to give someone an opportunity to say, I am not the only one that has had this experience. You mean to tell me other people are dealing with this? Why don't we talk about it? And we don't talk about it because we have that persona that we're supposed to be able to handle all things and go to bed and wake up the next morning and start all over again. We're, we're so methodical yes. and we don't allow ourselves to just know, I, I can't do that today to go right. and have a seat. And then we wonder why there's the high blood pressure and the diabetes and the obesity and the strokes, because according to what the ACEs literature says, if you can answer yes to four or more of the questions on the survey, you are more likely to have an early death because of those factors that I just mentioned. That's right. And so to be able to get in front of women and say, it's okay to not be okay. Hmm. These are some of the things that have helped me. And your post-traumatic growth may look different from mine, but you don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to hide. You can heal out loud. Hmm. I recently did a TED Talk last year, and the title was Healing Out Loud. And the whole reason for that is let's move this shame to the back burner. Let's talk about the things that happened to us so that we can know that we don't have to be those things that happened to us Exactly. Exactly. so that we can heal every single day because that stress, that internal stress, it's going somewhere. And so if we don't deal with it and we don't have these open conversations about it, then it's going to end up resulting in physiological issues that we're not going to be able to reverse. I like this idea where, where you're, talking about this shift of what happened to us again, rather than what what's wrong with me. Right. And I can appreciate that this path to enoughness, I am enough, comes from these conversations, you know, these open sharing conversations that people take some risks. And I, I don't have any idea that they'd have a hard time being there with you because you're so candid and open about yours and you're confident in what you're saying. There's hope in what you're saying, but I can Mm -hmm. appreciate that in groups like that, when we begin to realize that, wait wait a minute, these are normal feelings. So we get to normalize something for people, or we get to realize you, I'm not the only one. So we can, there's there's that universality that there are other people like me. I'm not the only one. And that kind of takes it from the secrecy of all this into kind of a, a, a greater trust that there can be an openness around and I would imagine you hear all kinds of stories around survival and where faith comes in where resilience gets worked out tell me a little bit about the role you see this is always a hard one in, in, in topics like this but the role of forgiveness how do you come to understand that forgiveness is is huge I found that I recognized that I was holding in anger for my mom my dad, obviously my perpetrator who was still around and myself. Mm-hmm. And what I recognize in learning more about my parents' background is that they likely had aces of nine or 10 and that they were probably doing the best that they could at the time. Yeah. And I have no doubt in my mind that, that both of my parents, you know, loved us and did everything that they could to, you know, to do what was best, you know, for us. And so I had to be able to release that and let it go. Yeah. 
I also recognize that based on the statistics, you know, we look at, you know, the perpetrator victimization rate Mm -hmm. and that there's likely that something that happened with my brother as a child, just based on some of the information that I learned. Also learning that, you know, one in four girls and one in 13 boys will be victims of sexual assault by the time they reach the age of 18, 90% or more of those perpetrators are family members or close family friends. And so some of what I learned, you know, going back to the background to do research for my book, then I knew that, you know, there are probably some things that happened in the background that I'm not aware of that resulted in the things that happened in my childhood. And so I needed to to let that anger go because forgiveness is really more so for you than it is for someone else. Yes. But mainly I had to forgive myself for being so hard on myself for so long And for beating myself up about what I wasn't when the whole entire time I was exactly who I should have been. And so that forgiveness piece is huge because you literally lose about 50 pounds. Mm. You feel lighter mentally. Mm. You you just kind of feel lighter. And, you know, the burden, the internal burden and the shifts that you wear every day. And I I liken it to carrying an invisible um, suitcase on your back that weighs 70 pounds. No one can see it, but you can feel it every single day. And the stressors that you have and not sleeping and not eating and the headaches and, you know, all of these things. And so forgiving is is very important. And so what I tell a lot of the women that I work with is to give yourself some grace mm-hmm. and learn how to forgive. And, you know, sometimes it's difficult. And both of my parents are deceased and there are conversations that I wish I would have been able to have with them, but I know that I can't. And so that next best thing for me was, you know, to write a chapter about each of them in my book. And I also, you know, I I love my parents dearly and they push me in each of their own different ways in spite of their own levels of of dysfunction at times. Mm -hmm. And so I can look back now as an adult and say that I forgive them and I, and I forgive myself. That's really good. And you know, I want to highlight this too. I I so appreciate what you're laying out here for us because people think there's absolutely no way I can forgive in fact, I don't want to forgive. Sometimes we unknowingly hold on to that lack of forgiveness because part of what we went through defines us and gives us a sense of ourselves as strong right. and overcoming, mm-hmm. but it's generated by pain. Right. It's generated by trauma and holding on to that kind of self-strength as, as we determine it, it's it's draining us while right. we're trying to uphold something. And th- at the same time, we might also not want to forgive because if I forgive, I'm going to be vulnerable again. And I, I, I protect myself by holding on to this edge, but a path to forgiveness, like you said, is possible. And it's oftentimes started by what we feel is anger or rage for what happened at the person or perpetrator. But if we can hold that anger long enough, your sequence went like this. If I can hold that anger long enough to work to understand and gather some understanding and meaning behind this, maybe Mm -hmm. I can at some point, and this blows people's minds, but you're, you're a testament to it. Maybe I can develop some empathy. Mm-hmm. So understanding mm-hmm. takes my anger and allows me to kind of understand a greater context and meaning for what happened, which then can lead me to a place of maybe empathizing with not condoning, right. never making it okay, right. but understanding the context within which maybe this person grew up themselves or what they were going through that led me into their lives in those moments. And then for that, 
empathy goes into that forgiveness for someone else. And then you said a grace towards ourselves. What a lovely mm-hmm. sequence you've laid out right there. And I agree with that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I talked to people about too is taking accountability for your own healing. Yes. Because holding on to those, you know, things that happen, you know, you're not going to forget, right? You're not going to forget. They become a part of your psyche and who you are. But we have to develop a process to move forward. And yeah. it's not, it's no, by no means easy. But yeah. we have to take responsibility for wanting to heal and be able to have a path forward to, to living our best life. Because yeah. quite frankly, for a lack of a better term, it sucks going yeah. through every day, feeling upset and angry and mad yeah. and hurt and all of these things. And so if you want to heal, you know, you have to take the necessary steps so that you can go through that process of post-traumatic growth. I love that word. We, we've got to be accountable for our lives and life is hard and it's hard in various ways. And oftentimes there's adverse experiences that goes along with it. But I really agree with that. Am, am I, if I walk down the street here and I get hit by a car, mm-hmm. I'm left to do the rehab while that person drives off. Right. And I can either do that rehab or walk the rest of my life bent and limping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not right. It's not fair. There's no justice in that. But I get to choose the kind of life I want, bent and limp, or do I want to find a way to really heal and become my truest and fullest self that I was designed and destined to be from the beginning prior to this happening to me? So I love that encouragement to to work, to forgive, to free yourself up, to be what you can be Mm -hmm. and what you were designed to be. So I I Mm -hmm. so love that. You know, I know we're kind of winding down. I could probably talk to you all day here because I'm so enjoying what you're saying and having some fun with you. But if you could leave our listeners, maybe it's part of the accountability piece, but if you could leave our listeners with a takeaway message for today, who might be wanting to reclaim their lives from a struggle they've gone through, maybe an ACEs handful of experiences, what kind of message you want them to have as a takeaway today, Marie? You know, although sometimes it's okay to not be okay, and you have to, you can allow yourself time to wallow in whatever has happened to you. Mm-hmm. But my advice for being able to move forward is to seek the help that you need, especially in the Black community. There's a huge stigma associated with mental illness because we're taught that, you know, what happens in our household stays in our household, and getting mental health treatment is a sign of weakness. Healing is an absolute sign of strength. I love that. Healing is a sign of strength. It takes a lot. It takes a strong person to heal. Yes. And in yes. similar, you know, oftentimes we can kind of an analogy is it takes a strong man to have a tender heart. Yes. It takes a strong person to lean into the areas where they've been hurt at no fault of their own. Mm-hmm. to heal. That's true strength. I, I couldn't agree more. Hey, you know, I would love our listeners, Marie, to follow up with you. Give us some resources and how they can find out more about your Sip and Heal sessions and also about your book, Getting to My Enough. How can they do so? All right, perfect. So here is my book. It's called Getting to My Enough, A Story of Faith, Resilience, and Survival. And it is available at the traditional sellers, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. But you can also get a copy on my website at www.mercadelconsultingsolutions.net. And in terms of the Sip and Heal events, I'm very excited to talk about those. I've had about 50 Sip and Heal events across the country with my first one kicking off at UCLA in April of last year. And those sessions are designed, um, have groups of women from 15 to 30 women. We talk about my book, 
And then we go through guided discussion questions and we have some open, authentic conversations around past experiences, trauma, imposter syndrome, self-care, wellness, mental health. And the topics can go anywhere depending on what the audience members want to talk about. You can also find out more information about the Sip and Hill events and those that are upcoming um, on my website. And I am also open to uh, doing traveling sip and heels, which is why I've been able to do them in Texas, Louisiana, nice. California, and, and Georgia thus far. So the, the information about how to connect with me to schedule a sip and heel event is also on my website. That's terrific. Well, Marie, I so appreciate you being with us today. And thank you, first and foremost, for your vulnerability and your frankness and detailing your life experiences. And I believe conversations like what we're having open up the needed conversations for others just to kind of chance having themselves and to try it on and see what it's like. But this gives them, I believe, courage and holds out a hope and proof that it is possible to achieve triumphs in spite of our experiences that we didn't have control of before, but we can have control of now. So thanks so much for being with us today. And thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great to have you. Well, I also want to thank you, our listeners, for dropping by and joining Marie and me today. It's always great to have you with us. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and its resources and all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT, and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show, and we we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.